All right, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to turn not to Matthew 5, but to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 25. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, if you have your Bibles with me, please turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. You'll find it in your Old Testament. If you go to the middle of your Bibles, you should find Psalms. Behind Psalms is Proverbs. Right behind that is Ecclesiastes, and we are going to go to chapter 3. I want to talk today about seasons. I want to talk about the seasons that are out there that we experience, and I want to talk about the seasons of life that we experience as well. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8 there. The Bible says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain, A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And if you go back to verse 1, we read these words, there is a time for everything and a season for everything under heaven. 
Now, it's winter again. And I'm not sure how you're liking that, but it's the reality of life in Saskatchewan. For children, winter carries the potential for all kinds of fun. For those of you who are a little older, who are just beyond childhood and you have a driving license, you need to recognize that you can't drive quite as aggressively as you can in the summertime and you need to adjust some of your habits. For others of us, winter is a major nuisance. You have heating bills, there's snow shoveling, there are vehicles breakdowns, they're getting stuck, there are slippery sidewalks. And in Saskatchewan, weather seems to be a favorite topic of conversation. I was talking to someone the other day, I think who had lived in Kelowna, and he, this person said, people never talk about the weather in Kelowna. Well, I don't know. But we talk about it in Saskatchewan, at least the older ones do. And usually people do what when they talk about the weather? They complain. It's too wet. It's too dry. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too long. It's too short. We bellyache about the weather. And the reality is that no matter what God does with the weather, it's wrong somewhere for someone somewhere all the time. So my question is, how do we as Christians handle some of those conversations that go on around us, and how do we handle ourselves when we get to thinking or talking about some of these things? And I think, as I said, I want to talk about the, the physical seasons, but I also want to talk about the seasons of life. And I think that as Christians, you and I need to develop or need to deal with those seasons in a way that reflects our faith. In other words, our faith in Jesus, our faith in God, needs to be more than inside the walls of this building. It needs to reflect in our lives when we're out in this community. It should permeate every single part of our lives. So how do you deal with the seasons of the year? Well, get used to it. Seasons change. We all have our favorites. I mean, if you have a favorite season, then you have a less favorite season, and then you have a least favorite season as well, right? And so I have personal likes. I like long days, and I don't like darkness. For me, darkness is, is, is these, these short seasons uh, I, I find really depressing. And, and part of that maybe is due to my background in driving truck. I have seen way too many sunsets and way too many sunrises through the windshield of a truck uh, all on the same day for way too many years. I love the summers when I used to haul um, copper concentrate and different things in northern BC. I used to love the summers because it would get dark somewhere around 11 o'clock at night or, or just after 11 and, and, and the sun would just kind of dip below the horizon and that northern horizon would stay light all night long and about you know 2 o'clock or so it would start to get light again. I loved it. And then we lived in Chetwind one year, which is close to Dawson Creek, and our girls went to school at, at quarter to nine in the dark, and they came home at quarter after three in the dark. That's hard to deal with. Now, we're human beings, and it's okay to be different. You don't have to like what I like and don't like what I don't like. But the biblical reality is the seasons are supposed to change. 
God said in Genesis 8 and verse 22 that never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And so the seasons changing is evidence of God's faithfulness. It means that God is at work, that God is doing what he's supposed to be doing. In Daniel 2.21, we read the words that God sets up kings and deposes them. He changes times and seasons, and he does. And so that's a good thing. When the days get short, and by the way, um, we want to talk a little bit about complaining. Now, this message, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and it come back to bite me about three times already this past week. So, I mean, it'll bite me again in this next week. And if you hear me complaining, jerk my chain for me, please. But the changing seasons confirm God's power and faithfulness. And if you are a believer, if you believe that there is a God who loves you, and if you believe that there is a God who sent his son to die for you, then you probably acknowledge that God has the power to do what, what he wants to do and that God is in control. Now, I know that's a dangerous assumption for me to make, yet it's a biblical reality that God is good and that God is powerful and that God is in control. It's a biblical reality where you and I need to arrive if we're going to make sense of life. And here's the reality of life in Saskatchewan. We don't have hurricanes, tsunamis, or earthquakes. We do have wind, forest, fires, some flooding, and drought and rain. And so when you're in town this winter and someone complains to you about the snow or about how cold it is, you know what? You say, it's Saskatchewan. Deal with it. It's supposed to be cold here, right? It's supposed to snow, blow, and be 40 below. Isn't that normal? That's normal. It's supposed to be that way. Deal with it. So, the danger, there, there's some dangers in complaining. Now, when I used to work in logging camps, we had a name for, for complaining and, and the complaining sessions that go on, which I'm not allowed to use in church. But complaining is a poison that spreads to everyone around you and infects everyone. And what it does, it puts you, when you complain, you wind up, if God is good and God is powerful, and God is trustworthy, when you complain, you are putting yourself above God and saying, I know better than he does. Isn't that a little cheeky? Isn't that a little impudent? In fact, it puts you in a place of rebellion against your sovereign. It puts you in a place over God's authority, and that's the thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven, by the way. And 1 Samuel 15, verse 23 says that rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. And so what is the antidote to belly aching? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 tells us that we are to give thanks in all circumstances, not necessarily for all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
And so when it snows this winter, and you are tempted to complain, how can you be thankful in those circumstances? Think about that a little bit. Well, you can be thankful for graders that come along and clean the street for you. You can be grateful for sand and salt trucks. You can be grateful for snow blowers. You can be grateful for a snow shovel when you're out there shoveling the snow. Just think what would happen if you didn't have a shovel. You can be thankful for the strength and time that you have in order to shovel the snow. You can be grateful if you don't have the strength or the time. You can be grateful for the money that you have to hire someone to come and shovel the snow for you. You can be thankful for your car. You can be thankful for the people who will come and start your car when it won't. You can be thankful for new batteries for your car that you can get. You can be thankful for winter clothes, for central heating, for indoor plumbing. There's an oxymoron, indoor plumbing. It wasn't plumbing outdoors, it was just a hole in the ground. You can be thankful for the greater operator who leaves that pile of snow in your driveway. Because when it snows a foot, where else is he supposed to put it? Thankful that there's a grader who comes along and does that. You can be grateful for the town of Nippon who supplies the grader. You can be grateful for the money that you have so you can pay taxes so the town can buy the grader and pay the person to operate it. You can be grateful if you're, you don't have to shovel snow if you're a kid or a student. You can be grateful that there's a school bus you don't have to ride a horse to school. You can be grateful for the ride to school. Do you ever drive by L.P. Miller or one of the other schools at noon? Like there's a zillion cars lined up there to pick up kids. You know, I'm going to sound like, I'm going to whine now. That's complaining, isn't it? When I was a kid, yeah, right. When I was a kid. Didn't matter if it was 30 below, you didn't, at least for the guys, you didn't dare wear long underwear to school. Because if, if you ever did and took your pants off in the gym locker room, you were the object of ridicule, so you toughed it out. Fortrell pants, yeah. Oh, that was pre-Fortrell. Pre-Fortrell. Yes. Okay. So, don't bellyache. Don't bellyache about the seasons. But let's talk about the seasons of life a little bit. And the same principles hold true. Let's talk about the seasons of life. When you're an infant, somebody changes your diaper and feeds you and puts you to bed and gets you up. It's nice. And then that season changes. And you become a little kid. And you go to school and you play and you have no worries for the most part. And then you grow a little older and the seasons change again and you turn into a teenager and now you have, yeah, you have school and you can still play and you have a certain degree of freedom. You may have some part-time work. You may have some responsibility and you're growing and learning to be a little more independent and then that season changes. And now you become a young adult and you have not only increasing freedom, but you have increasing responsibility. You're still mostly independent, but you'll probably get married, and now you have to pay your own way in life. And then you have a family. 
And you wind up with long days and short nights and lots of activities and bills and responsibility and good times and hard times and then the seasons change again and you become an empty nester. And you get some of your freedom back but now maybe your health starts to go a little bit. And then there's this thing called the sandwich generation where, where today's, many of today's families are caught and even the empty nesters are caught with adult children coming back home and aging parents that they have to take care of as well. And then the seasons change again. And now you become a senior. And you wind up with health issues and the loss of mobility. You lose some of your independence. There's probably bereavement, loneliness, and finally, you become totally dependent on someone else. But the seasons are supposed to change. You can't stay a baby forever. You can't stay a child forever. I have a granddaughter who, who doesn't want to go through puberty. You know, well, sorry, hon, it's going to happen. You know, it's supposed to happen. It's a good thing. That's the way God designed it. And, and as we get older, that's the way God designed it. As we get older, we start to lose some of our, you know, and, and the seasons change. And the reality is this, regardless of what season I am in my life, whether I'm in my prime physically, uh, whether I'm declining or whether I'm growing or maturing or whatever it is, Regardless of what it is, God is still in control of my circumstances. The seasons are a normal part of life, and you and I need to learn to accept that. Yes, as we get older, you can't, if you as a 60-year-old could do all the things a 20-year-old was, you'd be really weird. It's just not right. You know, the seasons are supposed to change. And just as it's supposed to snow and freeze in winter in Saskatchewan, the seasons of life have their norms. But my contentment is not determined by my circumstances. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 12 and 13 say this, I know what it is to be in need. By the way, when the guy who wrote this wrote these words, he was in prison. He's not in a pleasant place in life. He was old, he was in jail. He said, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Regardless of the season of life that I'm in, he said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And then here's part of the secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, Let's talk a little bit about the dangers of complaining, what it does to you. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, go with me to Exodus chapter 15. Israel has just made the Exodus. They have gone, they have seen God's power, they have seen the ten plagues of Egypt. They have plundered the Egyptians, got all the Egyptians' good stuff. They have left Egypt. They have gone through the Red Sea. They have seen Pharaoh's armies drown. Chapter 14. 
Verse 22, chapter, uh, that's, that's all in chapter 14. In chapter 15, in verse 22, we read these words. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Okay, three days. Three days after all this good stuff happened to them. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled. They started to bellyache. Three days later, Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. Okay, so God gave him water. Chapter 16. Um, on the 15th day of the second month. Okay, it was a month later. In the desert, verse 2. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Oh, woe is me. Poor me. It's all about me. There, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Complaining warps your mind. It messes with your head. You can't remember, they said, when we were in Egypt a month ago, we had all the food that we wanted. We sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Complaining warps your mind. Numbers chapter 11, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And you might say, well, you know, they had a legitimate right to bellyache. But look at what happened. They complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Complaining puts you in a very, very dangerous place. Verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Complaining warps your head. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. It was God who put that manna in front of them six days a week. They didn't like what God gave them. They bellyached. They griped. They complained. And God's anger was around. Complaining is a poison that spreads insidiously among people. Look at verse 18 of that day. God says, you want meat? He says, I heard your belly aching. I'll give you meat. 
I'll give you meat till you're so sick of it it comes out of your nostrils. Teach you to bellyache. Go with me to the second last book in your Bible, the book of little letter of Jude. And it really doesn't matter today whether you're a teenager, whether you're 20-something, 30-something. We all complain about the circumstances in which we find ourselves. I remember being on a, working on a forest fire one time and Conditions weren't the greatest. I mean, you ate under tarps at homemade picnic tables. But we had food like you wouldn't believe. I mean, there were steak and eggs and pancakes and whatever else you could name, hash browns for breakfast every morning. Where else do you get steak and eggs for breakfast? There was usually three entrees for, for every meal at night. There was lunch stuff like you wouldn't believe. I mean, you ate well, and still people bellyached about the food. Complainer, a complainer lives in a very small, a very lonely, and a very dangerous world because a complainer is wrapped up in self, and it winds up being all about me. In Jude, Jude talks about certain men Verse 4, he said, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. And he talks, about, he talks about some of these men. And he likens them to the angels just a little bit later. He likens them to the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but who abandoned them. And as a result, who were locked up? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And God deals with it very severely. And in verse 16, he describes these men. He says, they are grumblers and fault finders. In verse 8, he says, these dreamers pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and slander celestial beings. When you are in a position, when you wind up complaining, you are putting yourself in a position of rebellion over top of God who directs your circumstances and you reject the authority of God. When you slander celestial beings, you minimize both Satan and God. When you complain, verse 10, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. And then they boast about themselves. And a complainer, it's all about me. So how do you deal with that? How do you say, I can just say to you, well, it's bad, don't do it. How do we stop that? Because like I said, this thing came back to bite me about three times this week already. I caught myself, you know, like, like well, I complained at home. Uh, and, and, you know, I, and I'm bumbling in my beard sometimes and complaining. And so this came back to convict me several times. And so, how do we deal with it? I think if we deal 
learn to develop a biblical perspective on life, it will help us not to get into this gripe mode. And by the way, I, I remember working in, in sawmills and in the bush in BC, when one guy started griping, pretty soon everybody started griping. One morning we're going to work, we're all driving our logging trucks, we're going to work one morning, it's like, it's like, three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And, and usually it's, it's, it was dead quiet on the radio because, you know, most of the places they started loading at four in the morning, loading logs. And so, you know, you'd all go out there to be up at, in the bush at four o'clock in the morning. And, and so we're heading up about three o'clock in the morning. Everybody's still half asleep. And, and somebody grabs a microphone in one of the trucks and says, well, boys, what are we going to talk about this morning? And so somebody else grabs the microphone and says, well, how about all these lousy rates that we're getting for hauling logs? You know, we're not making enough money here. So, so anyway, by the time 7 o'clock in the morning came around, we were on strike. It started with somebody saying, well, boys, what are we going to talk about this morning? Like, shut up, I don't want to talk. Yeah. How do, you, how do you deal with that? A biblical perspective on life. Number one, God is in control. Psalm 118, verse 24. You saw this. We read this this morning. It's in your bulletins. This is the day the Lord has made. Whether you like it or not, let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know, if it's blowing a blizzard in Saskatchewan, it's normal. Enjoy it. This is the day the Lord has made. It's His design. He decided that this would be a really good day for a blizzard. So, let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you're in Bible school, this is the day that the teacher called in the assignment that I haven't done. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Number two, number one, God is in control. Number two, develop an eternal perspective. Second Corinthians 4, verse 17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When you get to heaven, you'll wonder why you lit your hair on fire over some of the things that you complained about. You know, we have these big, hairy conniption fits about things that don't really matter. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Thirdly, give thanks in all circumstances. We talked about that, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And yeah, you have to work at it. You know, when the grader comes along and leaves a pile of snow at the end of your driveway, you can be thankful that there is a grader who can leave a pile of snow at the end of your driveway. You can be grateful that there is a person in that grader that operates it and does the best that he can, and if he leaves a pile of snow in your driveway, oh well, deal with it. Be thankful that you have a snow shovel, that you can move that stuff, that you have the time and, and the energy to do it. Or if you don't, then you can have the money and the means to hire someone to do it. And then fourthly, I think we need to learn the secret of contentment. Philippians 4 verse 13, I have learned 
the secret of being content in any and every situation. My circumstances do not determine my contentment. I can have peace in my heart in spite of the circumstances in which I find myself, whether or not my life is coming unglued at the time, whether or not my life is turning out the way I planned it, whether or not my life is turning out the way I would like it to turn out. I need to learn the secret of being content. And I think for me that secret is allowing God to have control. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God's in control. If he decides it's going to be a good day to do whatever, I'm fine with that. I develop an eternal perspective and I learn to give thanks in all circumstances. And I think those things will help me learn the secret of contentment. Father, please forgive us for complaining. I know that uh, I'm guilty of it and probably every single person here is guilty of it at one time or another. Father, we do recognize that you are in control. We give you honor and glory uh, as our God, as our sovereign, as our loving provider. Father, help us to walk in faith and to uh, be the people that you want us to be. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. God bless you. Uh, tonight, 7 o'clock, evening service.